What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Shee and I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave! Man, we're one week away from the Battle of the Bastards, Avengers Endgame. Bastard? Yeah. Battle of Bastards Part 2? Yeah, that's what I'm calling it because those White Walkers are bastards, bro. Straight up. Fair enough. Nah, what, what's this <laughs> one? The Battle of Winterfell? I guess technically. That's what they're calling it. Like Elsa Pochnik, back again. Exciting. Very exciting. A lot of people are going to die. We're going to be talking Game of Thrones here in a second before we get too far into it. Essentially, listen to Nostalgia Pod. Hopefully, you're enjoying the content we bring you today. Give us that subscription. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube or go to soundcloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod to listen to our podcast anyway that you enjoy it and share us with friends we love interacting with new people and, and hearing all your feedback so hit us up on twitter at nostalgia pod and let us know what you think all right game of thrones episode two episode 69 of the series <laughs> dave what'd you think wait is it actually episode 69 is that right yeah that, that's why Arya got freaky last night bro yeah this is our 169th podcast hey. talk about that symmetry hey. very nice I thought it was a great episode. I thought this was classic Thrones once again. I loved it. That was another banger. Season 8, 2 for 2 so far. What about you? What did you think? It's so funny because I feel like the show, it's easy to get caught up, especially since no one really knows where we're going. We're obviously past the books at this point. It's easy to get caught up in theories. How is it going to end? What's going to happen? And these first two episodes, in a lot of ways, I feel like could have almost been just like one hour and a half long movie put together. In a lot of senses, because they felt very connected in terms of setting the table. But this one, what I really liked was it really brought you down to what makes the show so good. And it's that you have all these really unique and varying secondary and tertiary characters that people have grown to love. Now, obviously, with uh, Battle of Bastards Part 2 slash Battle of Winterfell, most of them probably won't see Episode 4. So this is, you know, a table setting one, giving a lot of fan service to these characters and some really great moments we'll talk about those in a second but i found myself feeling very just kind of like ah, i just want to i want more stuff to be happening i want to just get going we only have six episodes this season more stuff has to happen but then uh, upon reflection i was like you know what this actually really was i think a very well done episode because you need this groundedness to really drive the emotional things of the series home and i think I, the criticism i saw from people was that not a lot happened in this episode there's only six episodes this season we gotta be moving more and i i really think this episode was important because it brought a little bit of balance to the human aspect of it, along with this obviously epic journey that we're coming to conclusion on. You know, I, I mentioned that there were a lot of great moments last night. Which ones stood out for you and which ones did you maybe not like so much? Once again, like the first episode, and they definitely feel as one, but I thought most of the scenes were they all had an intention, a purpose for being there. And like you said, it's not like the, the plot moves that much, but... I really like this episode because human moments, as you said, these conversations, people talking in rooms, that largely makes up some of the best of Game of Thrones there ever has been. Like obviously, we talk about all the big events, the viral moments, stuff like that, like the Red Wedding, but Thrones really shines when Tyrion and Bronn are chopping it up, stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And to have that fireplace scene in this episode, where they're just kind of just having this last night together, and... On one hand, you get like a bit of closure on Tormund and Brienne. Brienne actually gets knighted by Jamie, which I thought was like a really warm, sincere moment and gesture. Tyrion in the cup once again. Pod singing a song, surprisingly. I really liked everything about that episode. And then 
I mean, obviously, everyone's really talking about uh, Arya getting the, the spear twice from Gendry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I also was a fan of. But I like these moments because I, if you think about the plot, like, everyone's like, how can we end this? And there's about four episodes, like, five hours left. I mean, there's not a whole lot left to be had in terms of plot. They're going to fight. A lot of people are going to die very soon. So the fact that we get this one last moment of everyone together and, again, for the first time a lot of times and these human moments, it's really where the writing gets to shine. I'm really happy that we got this because season seven, we didn't really have a lot of that. Season seven did a lot of plot moving to get us to this point. Now that we're we're in the end game, literally, it was nice, you know, especially if you've been watching the show for such a long time uh, over the years. I, I was very happy with it for sure. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And one of my other favorite running parts of it was just how often people were saying things and talking about things that are just never going to come to fruition and are just like ensuring their death. Like uh, Grey Worm? Grey Worm. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> later, bro. <laughs> never going to see you past like minute 20 of the next episode. But everybody in the crypts, I mean, not everybody's going to die, but there's no way those crypts are that safe. They mentioned it too many times. Too many times. First time I was like, ah, makes sense. Second and third time I was like, oh, they're, they're done. Ned Stark reanimated, headless gonna be popping up yeah. i don't know out me probably not him but i'm leaning towards the night king does raise the dead in the crypts just because they've referenced the crypts so explicitly and they've spent some time down there john specifically but they're not gonna look like zombie ned zombie not, just a bunch of skeletons so you're gonna have to like see them rise up out of their tombs specifically and like, yeah i guess ned's doesn't have a head i guess that helps him stand out a little bit but they've mentioned it so much it has to happen in some regard i guess something down there there's a lot of theories about that, but we'll see. Littlefinger wasn't buried down there, right? I'm trying to like think who. That's a good question. You know, he would have been. They only buried Starks down there, so he's probably buried somewhere around, though. He considering he died there, but good question. Or, or they could have burned him, knowing John. Yeah, that's probably more likely. I'm just trying to think because my my guess is that in the tra- you know in the trailers we saw we see Arya running away right. from something, obviously very fearful. People assume it probably is related to this battle and seeing a reanimated somebody. It must be maybe someone, maybe like Gendry dies and is reanimated, mm. something like that, where she feels like she can't kill him then. I don't know, but I was thinking at first it might be Ned, but I don't know if that makes total sense. Why don't we go through quick? Who Who's safe next week? Who for sure is not dying? John? John, Danny? Danny. Sansa? Sansa. Bran? I'd say Bran and Sam. I'd say Bran. I, I don't think Bran is going to go out this early. Like, somebody was saying the Night King could die in this episode. And, I mean, maybe they really, truly vanquished the White Walkers the first half of the season. They just get on, go on with Cersei. Yeah, feels a little quick. So I think Bran and, uh, Bran and the Night King have more to come. But honestly, any other supporting player... I, actually, I think Jamie's pretty safe just because I feel like Jamie's going to have to kill Cersei or be involved in that somehow, right? So whether Jamie almost gets killed and by extension that kills, gets Brienne killed or Pod killed, something like that. Yeah, all the supporting players, I don't think any of them are safe. I don't think all of them will die. The Hound probably lives considering we think the Club Game Bowl will happen. But right. Beric, gone. Grey Worm, gone. Tormund, probably gone. <laughs> Jorah, he just got Heartsbane from Sam, the Tarly Sword. Time to die, you know. Theon, oh, I'll protect you, Bran. Yep, all right, cool. Theon's, we got it. We see it happening. <laughs> Theon sacrificing himself. That's his redemption arc. I'm interested. Arya seems like one who could be a big name killed off. Jamie, yeah, with the whole Cersei thing, it feels like he has to still be involved unless 
you know, the Valencar prophecy is, I guess, referencing Tyrion. Uh, Tyrion being the little brother. That's what Cersei always brother. thought it would be, but Jamie's Maybe she's still right. technically the little brother, also. Sad. L- Lady Morma definitely gone <laughs> at this point. Her. Well, and that—that's the thing. There's a lot of like these other tertiary characters, like Lyanna Mormont, Davos, Varys, Lord Royce, head of the Dothraki guy, like Missandei, Gilly. Um, I feel like not all of them will kick it either. A lot of them won't be in the fight, but Tyrion, I think Tyrion's safe. It's tough, though. You can, again, like we talked about in our theories episode, you can talk yourself into almost anything, which is kind of part of the fun. Definitely. Ghost. Is he safe? He's back, apparently. Honestly, I, I, I saw that. Oh, there's Ghost? Cool. Ah, he's not moving that much. Just moves his head. Save on that yeah. animation. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was I was so excited to see him, and then also like, kind of bummed that it was like very just like fan servicey. They just basically like, put him in a shot, and we're like, okay, there you go. Well, it's just funny because like he's never been like referenced, so it's like he's always he's never left. He's always been there. He's just always been out of frame. That's what he's we're supposed chilling. to think. He never he never, never left. growls, never nothing. No nope. best uh, direwolf <laughs> in, in the land. <laughs> Two more, two more things. First, how stupid is this plan to lure Bran, lure the Night King with Bran? I mean, when they were saying, I'm like, I don't have a, another idea because they know brute force yeah. ain't gonna do it. And even if you try with the dragons, they got a lot of ice javelins by the look of it, so big risk. And as Bran said, that's their way to lure him. And again, we don't really know why. We don't really know what the connection is. It could be really simple uh, the way Bran explained it. But yeah, honestly, it kind of makes sense to try and get the Night King to get close but because you can't just try and get through the army he'll be in the back so honestly it kind of makes sense to me yeah i i I just think it i don't know especially like guarding him with dion like i don't know man oh yeah Dion, you gotta yeah i gotta put a better bodyguard iron board with you son you're good (laughs) (laughs) and last thing danny john danny john finally shares that he's aegon targaryen danny her first thought is oh damn not that I'm fucking my my nephew, but that oh you might take away the Iron Throne. She's driven, dog. She knows she knows her goals. Goal oriented. She's on that that Mad Queen route. It seems like at this point. And again, like people, are like, oh nothing happened. But again, we got Sansa and Danny once again actually coming really to head and butting heads about their differing views of how everything should happen. Should they all live? And now Danny understands that John has a legitimate claim, perhaps a stronger claim than she does, and thus is a challenger. <laughs> Again, Danny and John having that on their mind, right? Is it's time to fight? Not the best. Would Danny let John die in an episode or two? Could be on her mind now. Who knows? I wouldn't put it past her. I just want to ask you about the the Arya Gendry thing one last time, just because there were some people that were maybe not even having negative reaction, but having a uh, like startled reaction or surprised reaction because. I guess because we've seen Maisie Williams first met her when she was like 10 or, or around that age. And she clearly was a child and now she's not. I think she's like 21, 20, 22. Arya in the show is 18. I don't know. Like I thought it was like a really tender, legitimate hookup, consensual. Like we had Grey Worm and Missandei and Gillian Sam. No one was offended when 15-year-old Tommen got it on with Marjorie. Right. Yeah, there's a bit of a double standard. I didn't really have a problem with it, especially knowing Macy Williams, 22, and Arya, I know, was like 17, 18. But I would never call it tender, because she was like, yo, remember when you were with the Red Lady? What was up with that? You would hook up with anyone else? Like, she was really putting the the screws to him. 
And that was just like, yo, take your own pants off. I'm not going to woo you here. Like, she was not tender at all. I think she took him for a ride. Good. She deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good for her, too. She's like, I'm not hanging out with these old, miserable old men outside. I'm going to go get it in with this young Baratheon stud. That dragon glass spear. <laughs> I could talk about the Game of Thrones forever. Just awesome show. A show I don't think I can talk about nearly as long. Hannah on Amazon. And we already talked about it once. Episode one premiered after the Super Bowl. We were cautiously optimistic about it. I thought it was a pretty good episode. We're doing a full season review, so if you haven't finished Hannah, maybe you want to go back and finish it. I don't know if it really matters. What were your thoughts on season one as a whole? Just to recap our pilot talk real quick, I thought it was a really effective pilot because it condenses the plot and then in turn separates Hannah from Joel Kinnaman right away. Like and it's like it sets it sets up the series, the final seven episodes in a good spot. It didn't spin its wheels too much in the pilot. Unfortunately, the rest of the season did a lot of wheel spinning because I feel like, not feel like I know that this story was just padded on and that just there was not enough plot to justify even eight episodes. Yeah. So I, I was underwhelmed significantly by the whole season. And really what stood out to me was just that I was never really surprised by anything, nor was anything I was seeing new. I, I've seen all this done before in some fashion. So it's not that it was bad. It's just it didn't really tick off any boxes i i wanted what about you just from my preview i think you probably know i didn't i didn't love the season i thought it was okay there were some really good action sequences and some uh, some interesting like teenager exploration of self type stuff that i found interesting but the rest of the time especially the stuff with i believe her name was marissa played by marielle enos like seeing like her family and that sort of stuff i just didn't find that interesting at all and i think it was kind of cool at this point to see Kinnaman's character and Enos's character like playing themselves in these mind games, but then it just started to feel super repetitive. And like mm-hmm. there wasn't actually any progress in terms of plot or where the show was going. It just was like, "Gotcha! Oh no, I got you!" And like it, that was the back and forth. Meanwhile, you have Hannah just kind of like coming in and out of there, back and forth, and exploring who she is the whole time. Hannah season two is going to be coming to us. It just re up so. People must have liked this. Yeah, and like I'm trying to think, like, what do you do for a season two? Because Kinnaman's dead, and perhaps his role in a story about Hannah shouldn't last for seasons on end. I get it, but I'm just trying to think, like, what are they going to do in terms of returning characters? I mean, the whole detour she goes on with the family, which is adapted from the movies and shows based on, of course. But going back to that, and as you mentioned, like I thought there were some cool ideas about her learning lots of social interactions and realizing what it's like to be a teenager in real time. Some cool ideas there, but they only just touch on it before they have to get to the next action set piece. So it just went down the middle, never committed, because there's also not that much action. So if you're really into the cat and mouse thriller aspect of it, that also comes and goes. So ultimately, it's like Black Widow, Red Sparrow, mixed with really toned down sex education. Like It's just a whole mix of things you've seen before, but not executed on well enough so yeah i'm not anticipating season two and i also was like wait a minute there's a billy eilish song in this year this show wasn't good enough to get a billy drop come on (laughs) yeah no that caught me off guard a little bit too but didn't hate it necessarily yeah it's interesting because i think this show was just more weighed down by like you said there wasn't enough here for eight episodes four or five i feel like they could have done a pretty effective short series but yeah i don't know Season two, not looking forward to it either. Something we both were definitely look for- looking forward to, though. Lizzo, because I love you. So Lizzo been blowing up this year. She uh, dropped Juice, I believe, back in January. And it 
It's been a huge pop hit uh, throughout the year, getting a lot of buzz on different uh, review sites, Pitchfork, NPR, places like that. And Lizzo has been around for a couple of years. You know, 2015 was kind of like her breakthrough with Lizzo bangers, and my skin off that in particular was a, a hit. And then 2016, her she dropped Coconut Oil, which is a an EP that had uh, Good as Hell on it. Dropped a couple other singles like Truth Hurt, Truth Hurts, uh, Boys. So she's had a couple hits here and there. So this was her first real album. Pretty anticipated. What did you think of the pop soul Aretha Franklin that is Lizzo? <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I had actually never heard her past work. Didn't really realize how big she was, especially on the internet. Until you had actually sent me the Juice single a few months ago. I was like, wait, who is this person? I actually, You actually put me on for once about a hip-hop artist. Yeah kind of funny I th- yeah i think this i think this album is really awesome it's only like 33 minutes long yet it's like sounds awesome most of the songs are bangers and also a really good message about like body positivity and self-acceptance and if you're familiar with lizzo that's something she's been doing for quite some time and got a lot of uh, positive buzz for but i think you know it's really coming to a head on this album where she really shines as just a really charismatic person who also has a decent message but also has some straight up bops. Yeah. I was a big fan. Yeah, she's powerful in so many different ways. You know, she's powerful just in terms of her vocal performance, I think, on a lot of these songs. I mean, Juice is just like a feel good, like bubblegum pop, but something like Because I Love You or Because I Love You uh, tempo, I think she has a really good cadence on that. There's a couple of other songs where she really lets it loose. Jerome, I think, near the end, she really starts to fall out vocally wise, but she just comes through as powerful in terms of her, like you said, her message. And also her style in this, you know, it's very upbeat, fun. She obviously is trying to be this. Uh, I, th- I think this pop artist that is taking her music in a different direction compared to a lot of other pop artists in terms of content, but also sound. It's very almost like 80s infused, but with like some 70s groove and, and funk in it. It's very yeah. infectious, I think is probably the word. Well, it's funny if you go to Wikipedia for the album. This is genre list pop, funk, rock, hip hop, and R and B. I don't know if there's that much rock on here, but still, I mean, it, it is correct that it jumps a lot of genres, and I, I, you hinted at it. But I think some of t- sometimes her vocals are a little up and down depending on the production choices, and it's kind of funny. The ex ambassadors of Sucker for Pain fame have background mm-hmm. vocals on three of these tracks randomly. They're not oh, even yeah. like label mates or anything, so that was a choice. Overall, I think generally she kind of get, gets across what she wants to do despite jumping around a lot of different uh, ideas and stuff so shout out Atlantic for actually signing her because past few years body positivity doesn't act doesn't necessarily scream billboard charts yeah Atlantic which is the most chart focused of all the labels still went with her so good for them yeah and just one more song I wanted to shout out lingerie might be the sexiest song I think I've listened to all, all year. She really leans into her sexuality too, whether it's in her so- her songs or her music videos. Um, and I give her a lot of credit for that, especially being uh, somebody who is not traditionally beautiful in terms of cultural standards today. So shout out Lizzo for, for a very solid album. We'll be putting one of her songs on our playlist. Nostalgia Best of 2019. We're also going to be putting a, s- a couple songs maybe by Pivot Gang off their new album, you Can't Sit With Us, their debut album, You Can't Sit With Us. Dave, give me a little background on Pivot Gang. Yeah, it's funny. I never really dove too much into most of the members. The most famous member of Pivot Gang, of course, is Saba. We reviewed his excellent album, Care For Me, 
that came out last year. You know him as a chance collaborator. He's featured on Angels, for example. Chicago artists, of course. You review lots of them, and there's some more on this. Of course, Mick Jenkins and Smino, artists we talked about, pop up on this album. But the whole Pivot Gang is really just this click that Saba's been running with, and he founded it with his brother and his cousin, as well as some other guys. His cousin has since passed. He's referenced on this project. This is really their, their first major real effort as a group. Um, I think they have one mixtape that came out like way back, like 2013 or something, so before Saba even himself was that well-known. So this is their first real look at anything, and I think this is a really, really good effort, 40-something minutes, but I really liked it a lot. What did you think? Because, I mean, you know, we know Saba, but we it's not uncommon for rap clicks and crews to have weak point amongst the ranks when you have a really famous front man, for example. But what do you think, not knowing the rest of the guys? I thought this was a, an incredibly successful debut album for a group that I had never heard of and didn't even know was coming around. You know, there's an obvious Chicago influence in terms of the music that they're rapping over, but more than anything, what stands out is just how well they work together as a group. They trade bars, they flow in and out of each other's verses so simply and effortlessly that it didn't feel like this was their first album. They felt very seasoned. I think that speaks to, obviously, they've had relationships for a long time. Outside of Saba and his brosif, uh, bro, his brosif, yeah, Joseph <laughs> Chillams. But the other uh, two other members of the band are brothers himself, Fresh Waters and Squeak Pivot. It's, it seems like these people just like to work together and like to make music together. It's interesting because Saba did make such a good album that we review care for me but it almost feels like he's like destined to be the leader of this group <laughs> in a way he almost mm-hmm. is better on this i felt like than he is on the other one which i think speaks just to how solid this album is with care for me being such a strong effort itself were you familiar with the other rappers in this group prior to this no i mean as far as i know they don't have too much solo work i i know Saba was part of this pivot gang his twitter handle at Saba pivot like i knew he had his own click you know there's more clicks in Chicago than just save money. Like I knew, knew he had this, but hadn't listened to that other tape. And I mean, I hadn't even listened to this really Saba solo work until that project that came up before Care for Me, Buckler's project, I think it's called. I didn't even know much about the group in terms of like I, you know, when you hear hear the guys that aren't Saba or Mick or Smino or someone I know. I'm like, I'm, this is one of them. I don't know who it is still, but I'm you know want to learn more about them. But yeah, I think despite not being familiar with everyone on the mic, as you said because it flows so well and they have such great chemistry, it doesn't take much to enjoy this. Yeah, and one of the songs that I think really got me into it was the second song on the album, Colbert, which I just thought was an obvious standout from this. Just flow was amazing on it. It was a really fun song to listen to. Immediately, I thought this one's going on the playlist for me. Yeah, my favorite song, it's funny, my favorite part of the album is Mick Jenkins' verse in no Ooh. vest i think no vest is such a banger but mick jenkins has this amazing nba reference people think they're curry people will think they're ron artest they shoot like Dion waiters it's a mess obviously i changed it there's some <laughs> n-words in there but yeah. i laughed out loud and i ran that song back a few times because like, that, 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 that's smart that's that's well done but what i think what's cool about this album is there's a lot of the jazz rap sound that we know come to expect from saba and chicago artists in general but there's also there's also some aggression there's also some bars on here part of one of this isn't coming from Mick but other songs so I think there's a lot to a lot to like and parse through on this and I'm excited to kind of go back Smino hook on here and that actually that that's Smino kind of getting outside of his comfort zone I think a little bit kind of uh kind of chippy on that but yeah overall I, I liked it and I think 
you know, there's some strong so- songs towards the end too. If you know, you think maybe I'm checking out Studio Ground Rules, that lead single, really lyrical, referencing their dead cousin. Then you have like Mathematics or Jason Statham Part Two. I think mean, there's some really cool songs on here. So big fan for sure. Yeah, check out Pivot Gang. You can't sit with us. Highly recommend. I want to talk quickly because we're gonna get to XXL here in a second. I want to talk quickly about your guy Drake. You've been a Drake stan since we started the podcast. I've... I'm not a stan of anyone. Don't call me a stan. <laughs> that's, a bad, that's a negative connotation around here. Unless you're watching our videos, BTS stands, Robert Pattinson stands, we're stans of you. <laughs> <laughs> I've come around on Drake. More life, I think, is a turning point for me just in terms of giving him credit for trying something else. It wasn't views is what you're saying? Nah, I mean... It... <laughs> you hated views, dog. <laughs> I think overall with Drake, I've come to enjoy more of his music. I still find his softness. And I, I go back and forth on the softness because I know you would say, well, you're a Vampire Weekend fan. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a band that's made to be soft. They don't pretend to be anything but soft. If I know I'm going to eat some oatmeal, I'll eat that oatmeal happily. If I think I'm biting into an apple and it tastes like oatmeal, that's where I'm not enjoying it. And Drake is like biting into a mushy apple sometimes. That's why I don't like him. This is my metaphor for the day. But he recently has been caught up in a bit of a controversy about being a culture vulture who's who's been calling him this Dave? And what exactly is a culture vulture well, he's been called a culture vulture for some time that's just kind of a general term for people that especially comes up in hip-hop a lot where usually thrown at white people that like enter enter the fold like black bear you could call black bear culture vulture because he has a rock background and started becoming a white rapper of sorts because he saw the money and the success was easy to get and because you're a white guy you're already on second base when it comes to this sort of thing and now he's more successful than he ever was with rock drake gets thrown at the label a lot because he will take from younger artists or take other genres and incorporate them into his own work but the the overlying the consistent theme would be that he's only benefiting himself he's not actually supporting these younger artists or propping up these lesser known genres or something that's the charge I mean, it's come up a lot a lot but i think a lot of times it's used pretty unfairly i think if you want to say that drake has taken advantage of certain situations and perhaps not helped out smaller artists as much as he could i guess you could say that but at the end of the day when drake co-signs you or remixes your song he's making you way more famous way more people are listening to your song as a result now whether you make enough music good enough music that people come back and then you're actually known for more than just the time drake was on the song with you i think that's kind of on the artist you think of uh, mcconan with tuesday the remix with drake big song he even signs mcconan to ovo yet mcconan really fizzles out and people are like oh well, drake just chewed up and spit out mcconan and now he's off the off the label you know never to be heard from again and yeah he's heard from now but that's kind of the genesis or party next door a really lame milk toast r&b artist whenever he makes music in my opinion yet he did make a reference track for work the rihanna drake song and apparently he writes for drake and this the charges of the ovo boot camp Majid jordan's talked about that a little bit where there's people just write and write and write and get the writing for drake and he's always crediting people like the whole thing with quentin miller making reference tracks quentin miller was credited on the songs that meek initially blew up about but I think that that's like one part of it, Drake taking from other people. I think actually really the first moment of this was uh, way back in Take Care. You remember uh, Crew Love featuring The Weeknd on Take Care. A uh, pretty solid song. They performed it live since then. But that was actually a Weeknd song that Drake just kind of took and used. And there was initial friction as a result of that once Weeknd got bigger. They've since reconciled. But that's like part of it. And the other part, which I think you're probably even more familiar with, is when Drake went through his Afrobeat dance hall phase. We remember. Oh, yeah. When he made Hotline Bling, not crediting 
Dram for Cha-Cha, which basically laid the blueprint for that, or Afrobeat. Yes, you featured Wizkid on One Dance, but all the people that were working hard to reestablish that genre didn't really get the benefit from that, did they? And One Dance is one of the best, biggest Drake hits and great song. Along those lines, like You Love Passion Fruit, Off More Life, arguably one, oh, yeah. one of, if not the best song on that playlist, that album. But we remember Drake using that uh, Caribbean patois, right? Fake Jamaican accent. I don't really know if there's a reason for that. Some people don't have a problem with it. Some people do. I don't know. So you're saying stealing even a cadence or using a way of speaking or talking accents can be culture vulturing as well. For Drake, it's kind of all mixed in together. Because again, this reason this came up, the reason we're talking about it, is because Wiley, uh, one of the longstanding grime OGs over in the UK, called Drake a culture vulture when he popped up at a Lasky's show. Lasky's this up-and-coming UK artist. And Drake, as we know, has always shown love for UK artists, uh, starting with more life, two gigs features, there's a Skepta feature on there, he's popped up Skepta shows, his Instagram of Party Here by Octavian really gave Octavian a nice big boost, and I think Drake, I think people are like, oh, he's a culture vulture, he's always popping in on the, 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 the young hot artist to take what he wants, and look alive with Black Boy JB, Drake just takes uh, Black Boy's flow and, and uses the beat, and Black Boy having a Black Boy, it's like, well... Blockboy JB got really fucking famous because of Drake. That right. song was number three. We haven't heard any good Blockboy songs since then. That's not Drake's fault, is it? As for Grime and UK Trap, Drake has legitimately made those genres bigger in the West. A guy like Alosky, who he pops up at the show a, few weeks, a month ago or whatever it was, is getting zero Western attention. It's not on any Western music sites. Not getting talked about even on the internet really at all over here. Drake is doing him a solid by by showing love and according to Ian Drake says it's all genuine so I think to call him a culture village I think you have to call out the certain instances a lot of stuff that he used to do with his label whether it still runs that way that that was shady but just because he's showing love to some young artists just showing up the show it's not like he did the remix but on the other hand like Versace remix was the true coming out party for Migos yes Migos probably gets really famous without Drake but he still helped them and sped it up so I think it's just people kind of hating to be honest, and like there's things you can critique Drake of legitimately, but just to call him a culture vulture and just say it, be done with it, I think it's just, you're just losing all the nuance in the context, in my opinion. Why do you think Drake specifically finds himself in these sort of feuds or conflicts so frequently? Because I feel like it's always Drake. Like, it's never, sure. it's never Future who's getting this, or Pusha T. It's, well, Pusha T with Drake, but... <laughs> Yeah, good question. I think part of it's just the way he, he moves, right? He's on social media. He's out in public. He's a celebrity. He's a megastar. He's really involved his, in the culture. The, yeah, and that he's so famous that people pay attention to everything he does. So he really can't help it, honestly. But his sports team curse, right? Like something that's really hilarious yeah. and doesn't <laughs> seem to end. Like, I feel like people just kind of throw that in. It's like, oh, Joe, Drake has this, this bad juju, man. He kills all the sports teams he roots for. He chews up all these young artists. It's all, that's who Drake is, man. You can't, you gotta be careful, get careful with Drake. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... They ain't wrong. <laughs> I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think he's a little bit more of a little bit more of cultural than I think you do, only because he I think he does tend to at least from the definition you're giving, he does tend to incorporate flows and ways of talking, speech patterns, I think, into his music that aren't necessarily original all the time. Although sure. I don't think that that in and of itself is an unoriginal concept for music in general, but hip hop, I think specifically, people will bite flows all the time people will yep. be stealing you know beats or uh, making songs that sound very close to other songs i mean billy ray cyrus culture vultured Lil nas 
uh, Lil Nas X. Certainly. In a sense. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's just kind of part of the game at some point, so it's kind of like, yeah. at what point does this become egregious where someone needs to be called out for it? He's an opportunist when it comes to his career, sure. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when he has Big Frida on Nice For What, you're putting a big spotlight on a genre that hasn't been very mainstream. True. On the other hand, as you're saying, when you bite XXXTentacion's Look At Me flow on KMT off More Life, it stands out. And you're also supposed to be Drake, so you don't need to take the flow from the 19-year-old kid in jail. <laughs> right. Again, I think it's case by case for me with Drake, and he's certainly an opportunist. And like stuff like Hotline Bling, Shady, obviously, he never credited Dram at all, which I think is fucked up. But other stuff, like when he supports younger artists, I don't think that's an issue. It'll probably come up again, because as you mentioned, Drake's always in the news for stuff like this, whether it's legitimate or not. Always in the news for stuff like this. Leave your thoughts. If you think Drake is a culture vulture or not below, we, we'd like to, to get into these sort of yeah, discussions sure. with our fans, especially around these sort of topics. Why don't we pick out who Drake is going to be stealing his next cultural things from? <laughs> because XXL, freshman, which we talk about every year, is going to be dropping soon. We did a prediction video three months ago? I want to say it was December. It might have yeah. been so four months. And we, we made some predictions. Some things have changed. Some things have not changed. Who do you got in your XXL freshman list? I, I have a couple of names I want to throw out as people that I think deserve to be on it. I think we mentioned mm-hmm. them. But then probably people that might not accept it. So right. YBN Corday, I think he'll be on it. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is YBN Corday didn't do a pitch video for XXL on their YouTube channel. Most other people I will talk about did, which I thought was kind of interesting because Corday has always been someone who's... Uh, showing a lot of respect and admiration for rap of the past, something that's not often common with his peers, other rappers his age. But yeah, Corday has the Dr. Draco sign. No one else we're going to talk about has that. Corday has songs like Target and Kung Fu, just incredible lyrical displays of just pure technical ability that are also really smart. And he only just busted on the scene last year with uh, the 1985 response, J. Cole, old hitters, right? And he doesn't actually have a solo project yet. But despite that, I feel like it starts so big. And that song, Have Mercy, it's only like a few months old. I think it's another hot song. So yeah, I think Corday is probably the best pure rapper, probably, who has the, like, if you want to say someone who could probably drop a classic album one day on this list, he's probably that guy if it was to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really hope he says yes, just because he could still get be a lot bigger. You know, he doesn't have any huge billboard hits. So I think XXL shining a light on him is a positive thing and should happen, even though he doesn't necessarily need this cosign. It seems like you feel like he's a shoe in to get it, and the only way he wouldn't is if he didn't want to be on the cover. Right. It's weird for someone to turn it down who doesn't have a lot of mainstream attention already. Like, mm-hmm. in the past, like when we talked about the 2018 list, um, Cardi B was not selected. 2017, we, you can check our video on YouTube.com. I didn't think Cardi B was ready. I don't think she had the records yet. In between covers, Bodak Yellow comes out, and she becomes this massive megastar. She's a little big for Double XX, uh, XL the next time the cover comes around, so she's just not on, just the way it worked. That happened with a lot of people. Drake, that happened with ASAP Rocky, people like that. But this year, I think that's actually going to happen with Juice World. I think. Little Baby, Gunna, artists that were just on the cusp last year, but were just kind of rising as we were having these conversations, so they it was just kind of early. Since then, I mean, Little Baby and Gunna, they sold 100k first week for Drip Harder. And we know how big Juice World is. We reviewed Death Race for Love. And again, these are already guys that are stars. They technically should be the faces of this new class. 
but they're probably too big and they'll probably say no. So I had uh, Juice World, someone that I thought would definitely be worthy of it, but also might not say yes. Someone that probably would have been on it, YNW Melly, but I think with the controversy, no way he's making it. Yeah, they've only ever put someone on the cover who was in jail once before. That was a while ago with Chief Keef, and he was like mm. the fan vote choice. But yeah, Melly would have been on because Murder on My Mind was already huge and well-liked even before it blew up once he went to jail. And news came out actually today that Florida also has murder on its mind and is seeking the death penalty with Melly. But crazy in the past few years, they've kind of separated themselves from anyone with controversy. So like last year, no 6ix9ine, no Famous Dex, no NBA Youngboy. This year, no YNW Melly because he's literally in jail right now. And also, I don't think Sheck West will actually make the cover now. Obviously, when we talked about him in December, like, oh, Mo Bamba, uh, Mud Boy, Cactus Jack mm-hmm. co-sign, all that. Chew in. New, new star. But the stuff with Justine Sky, allegations of abuse, stuff like that, even if it's just allegations, Double XL picks someone else, and there's always worthy choices. So I think Sheck West and Melly would have been on here if they didn't have their issues. So... Someone I really want to make is Tierra Whack. First of all, I loved her her pitch video. Just her <laughs> eating chips for a full minute and then saying, done, and walks off. She's amazing. Respect. We really enjoyed her album last year and have really also enjoyed her singles. I think her single, what was the name of it? Uh, Only dropped, Child? Yes, uh, is on our playlist. So check that out. But I have a feeling she's going to make it, and Saweetie as well. I, I think they'll be the two female names on The past few years have been ten names. I actually have three ladies on it this year, and mm. usually there's maybe one. Like last year, we had Steph Don. 2017, we had Kamaya. 2016, we had no ladies. There's a lot of a lot of good options this year. Who are your three? So you mentioned Tear Whack and Saweetie. I think Tear Whack, as you mentioned, I said, Whack World was critically claimed last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's out of Philly. Meek has given her a big cosign. But also she's really good, and she's also really interesting, because Whack World was, if you're not familiar, again, it wasn't a huge uh, popular album, but 15 tracks, 15 minutes long, yet still really dense and worthy of repeat listens. Like, r- really impressive for a, for a new rapper. And these new singles show that, oh yeah, she also can make good songs that are of normal length. So really exciting. Saweetie, we just reviewed her Icy EP. That was her second EP. Blew up from Icy Girl. Saweetie's just really established now in terms of like mainstream rap dating Quavo um, represents the Bay yet really kind of in my opinion feels like an, like an Atlanta choice these days just because she seems like really mainstream establishment rap right now mm-hmm. uh, but she's just really big and still new enough that I really knew honestly again just two EPs so I think she's a good choice and then my third one Rico Nasty Rico Nasty has a shit ton of music out she has like four mixtapes on streaming, six total. She signed to Atlantic. Only 21 years old, though. And really cool songs. She works with Kenny Beats a lot. Just fucking banger after banger. I think she's awesome. And she did a pitch video this year, which gave me hope that XXL is actually considering her. So I think she's, I think she's has one of the best body of works out of this whole group. And would be kind of a shame to ignore her. So yeah, I really hope all three of them got on there because they kind of represent three different lanes that happen to be occupied by women. And that's good because there's a lot of women in rap right now. We should actually acknowledge them more than just a token choice every year. I agree. Definitely. And we, we review a lot of uh, female rap artists on this show. A couple of names. I'm, I mean, Rich Brian, I feel like, will be on there. I think he'd be a solid choice. I think we mentioned him in the last one. We did. So, Blueface. I know I know you like Blueface. Blueface <laughs> pretty uh, controversial, maybe is the right word. I don't know. 
people uh, controversial about it, but people seem to be very split in terms of their sure. opinion on him. Either people really really like him or think he's absolute trash. That that's exactly right. Blue face. The people that think he sucks just think he can't rap on beat ever. Important part of rapping. Correct. Yeah. The thing is, I think some Blueface songs are kind of offbeat. The funny thing is the way he puts it, he's like, I, I just rap ahead of the beat. I'm too quick. <laughs> and he's really funny as a personality. And he, I mean, like the blow up happened, I think, last fall. Famous Crip and Too Cocky, these two tapes come out and like, Dead Lokes got really big. And Thadiana was on one of those tapes. And it's weird. I didn't think Thadiana would be the hit. Obviously, we know it's it's, it's eight. It was eight in the country at, at its peak. It's the... I think I believe it's the biggest it's a hit. song out of anyone we're talking about. Certified hit. And then Hella Remixes, Cardi B, YG, etc. song like Studio comes out. He's kind of singing on that. I think that song's kind of polarizing. I really like it. Some people think it sucks. Then Bleed It. I think Bleed It's the song, though, that you have to look at if you're critiquing Blueface. It's a Cole Bennett video for this. Mm-hmm. And Bleed It is a really competent rap song. He is on beat. He's using different ra- uh, rhyme schemes that he wasn't using back when Thadion and Deadlocks came out. And... Looking at that, looking at the feature he does, a co-song he does with GEZ West Coast, you can see the blueprint for Blueface being a star in rap. He's already kind of a star right now. He's pretty big, but he's. I think you can see the, clearly see the path that Blueface is going to be a multi-genre hip-hop guy who's not going to just focus on doing one thing. And yes, if the lyrics get a little repetitive, and once in a while he's actually not really using the beat well, I think that's okay because... He's making hit songs, and they're different kinds of hits. I kind of find that very exciting. And he's also just a goofy dude. Like he, He's a former quarterback. Kind of cool. It's like Quavo in that regard. Quarterback um, where? I don't know. He was a really good quarterback. He had college offers. Uh, he's from oh. uh, uh, Compton, or, uh, or South, South, L- South Central LA anyway. And uh, yeah, I think Blueface is definitely going to be on here because WAC 100, who's like his manager for Cash Money West, has been playing this perfectly. They've been delaying the singles. He made a song with Jeezy, so get the white girls. Like they're playing this really smart. So Blueface is going to be the face of this cover, whether you like it or not. Well, I think they'll be very exciting to some people and very not exciting to others. <laughs> Lil Nas X, I mean, most streamed song ever. Is he anyway. gonna make it on? I mean, damn, it, that would be crazy because does he even have a real project out right now? Yeah, that's the thing. So I made my list of ten. I didn't have Lil Nas X on. Lil Nas X is bigger. I guess, than basically everyone else on my list. He has, I think, two mixtapes or one mixtape, but they're not officially on streaming. He's just started to put some songs on Spotify, and streaming service like legitimized some of those songs. But as far as you can tell, as far as most people are concerned who have listened to Old Town Road, which, again, is most of the music listening public at this point, <laughs> he doesn't have any hip-hop songs that you've heard. And I just have a hard time putting Lil Nas X on the cover because Old Town Road isn't rap by any stretch. It is country trap it's pop infused country by find it's country music he just recently was talking about this song he has in in the bag with ryan tedder that he says can we get this on the rock chart so i don't know how interested he is in hip-hop juice world people are like oh juice world man this is emo music he's not even hip-hop you know he's using chief key flows on some of these songs juice world's still hip-hop Lil nas x until he actually releases some like rap songs anyone's heard i don't know if we can sh- we call him a rap artist again that's no shot against him I, I, I just have a hard time picking him over people like Rico Nasty, who've been grinding for four years, making tons of rap. I'm out of names at this point. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for uh, knowing this many of these these artists this <laughs> year. A- anyone else that you think is definitely going to make it or that we didn't talk about you want to shout out? 
Yeah, I got a few more. We gotta get to ten still. I think the biggest one left is Roddy Rich. Roddy Rich blew up last year with Feed the Streets Two, his second tape. Every season was on there, but also Die Young, his now gold single, really blew up when Odell Beckham posted that on the gram. And since then, Roddy Rich has been rising quick. He has that song Project Dreams on Marshmallow, Marshmallow, for example. He has the feature, he does the hook on Racks in the Middle, the Nipsey Hussle song, that loose Nipsey Hussle song that dropped a few months ago and has since been the rap caviar placement in the R.I.P. Nip uh, times right now. But I think Roddy Rich, you know, he's only 20 years old. He's also from uh, L.A., like Blueface. He kind of represents that singy new standard of sorts that we come to expect from your futures and your eight boogies. But he has some legitimate hits already, and like these are like really bubbling big songs. So he's someone I expect to continue to grow. And I mean, the fact that he already has a song on Marshmallow, you know, the most uh, radio-friendly, uh, big stream EDM. EDM choice you can yeah. pick right now, I think kind of says a lot to what the other labels think of him. So I think Roddy Rich is kind of a shoe in. Blueface and him are the true faces of this cover, I would say, in terms of just popularity. Obviously, Corday, as we said before, is probably the best pure artist on here. After Roddy Rich, you know, I think, so we have Blueface, Roddy Rich, YB and Corday, Tierra Whack, Saweetie, Rico Nasty. That's six. Maybe Lil Nas X is on there. That's seven. So we still need a few more. I'm going to go with Lil TJ. He's only 18. He's from New York. People majority of really call him B-Boogie. Because he's another New York artist that sounds like a boogie, because they do the same kind of singy thing. Okay. But he's he's been kind of blowing up with uh, brothers resume. He's got some few songs, kind of Columbia. Will he be as big as a boogie? Probably not, because that's actually a very high bar now. He, yeah. yeah. I mean, he album was like the number one album in the row the first three weeks of January because it was the most streamed album and no one released anything new. Like a, a boogie is like legitimately huge. So I don't know if Lil TJ can ever truly take that crown from him in terms of New York, but he's making music well that. It's the type of rap that people want right now, so I think he's going to continue to rise. He was just featured on that French Montana song with Blueface that just came out a few days ago. After that, someone who has, I think, even more more chart hit, Baby. He's actually one of the older guys on this choice. He's 27 already, but Baby on Baby, which was his major label debut for Interscope, came out a few months ago. Going Baby, Shug, there's, there's some hits on there, and I think he's one of those guys who has a lot of mixtapes out. It's like been grinding for a while, so you reward him for breaking through both commercially and in terms of just more popularity on that same lane he did a pitch video it was kind of surprising for me uh, boogie we just reviewed his uh, album a few yep. months ago boogie's 29 he'll be 30 this year he's like right on the edge where it's like ah. I mean, i've known about boogie a long time what i still consider him a freshman like he's been signed to m&m for several years now yeah when i saw him on the pitch videos i was like is this the same guy i thought maybe it was someone else with a similar name but yeah. Oh, interesting if he does get it, I suppose. I mean, other than that, I mentioned Little Mosey. We did our video a few months ago. Notice was a big song. He's on Interscope. He's only 17, so if you want to make him wait a little longer, that's fine with me. Again, he's not the most lyrical guy, so it's not like an inspired choice, I guess. But after that, I think uh, Flip De Niro, Leave Me Alone, also got an OBJ co-sign. But that, that song got the 20th. Like That song was really big. He's also from New York. He's only 23. But he only has, I think, one one tape from a few years ago so if he dropped something this year i mean they've probably already made selections by now but i feel like he's kind of just on the just on the cusp in terms of having that popular song at the right time yet he might still be just a little a little farther off but i mean i have a list of a whole other names that are in the conversation it's funny all the people we've talked about this is the first time in several years where no one from florida is going to make the list melly would have mm-hmm. kept it going but he's not on it so it's funny uh, we might have three women on here we might have multiple new yorkers on here i mean and no flirtians, it's kind of cool to see 
all these different places being represented. Other people I'm considering are usually in the mix. Danny Lee, Melly, Meg, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, these other women that are really killing it, so they're all in the mix. We mentioned Comethazine because we reviewed his Bosky 2 tape a few months ago. I don't think Comethazine is near good enough or interesting enough to get this kind of look considering how many other uh, options there are. One of the people who did a pitch video, I don't know if you recognize it, was Partisan Fontaine. It's actually from like right across the river from from in Newburgh, but he had his first really big hit song backing it up recently because it has a Cardi B feature. But he was more well known for being Cardi's longtime friend and writing partner. And like he hasn't dropped the tape since he got more famous as Cardi got famous. So it's kind of weird to see him do a pitch because I feel like, yes, he's a little older, but you also still haven't really established yourself as a solo artist. And backing right. it up was big because Cardi's verse was fire. So interesting to see. Also, I noticed on the pitch videos, OGZ was on there. He's the front man, most popular guy from Shoreline Mafia, the West Coast group. And traditionally, the XXL has not done groups like Quavo never made this. Kevin Abstract never made this, uh, Sway Lee, etc. Like they don't do duos or groups just because of the way they have to shoot the cover. It's like a logistical thing, right? So the fact that OGZ, a guy who doesn't have solo projects, he just has his Shoreline stuff, the fact that they actually let him do a pitch is kind of weird. They might be changing their uh, their, their standards. You mentioned Rich Brian. I would love Rich Brian to be on here just like last year, but he didn't do a pitch. It's weird. I don't know why they're not picking him because Rich Brian really had a great year last year. Both his, yeah. both Amen and then the Idiot Rising collab. I'm kind of taken aback. I mean, they've actually never picked an Asian artist. Kid Trunks brings this up in his pitch, and I think Kid Trunks we can we can kind of leave him there. But Rich Brian is good, really good, and interesting and, and different. And the fact that you are making history by your own decisions. I mean, I have other people, but I, I think no one else is really truly in the mix. Bad Baby did a video. <laughs> like I was going to pick about Bad that. Baby. But it's funny. She knows exactly what to talk about. She's like, I have three gold singles, and it's true. She does. But <laughs> does anyone care? She's uh, she's the one that was on uh, Doctor Phil, right? Yes. Propelled that to fame. Danielle Bergoli. Yep. And be, uh, to, to, to her credit, I think Gucci Flips Flops is a hot song. <laughs> she didn't write it, obviously, but yeah. I actually kind of like I kind of like it. But yeah, I, she's also really young. You can just tell her to keep waiting. I don't know. I mean, Valet, Neff the Pharaoh, O Seven O Shake. You mentioned her few months ago when we did our video nah i don't she's not gonna she's really it. not rap it's actually funny when you said that she drops some songs and the first person i thought of was zach mm-hmm. zachary which or zachary however you pronounce it i was like eh they're kind of the same to me like right now i need uh 070 to drop gotcha. something i'm, I'm with distinguishing it. yourself so first so why don't we wrap up with some uh end game talk because at this weekend this thursday we're all <laughs> in the end game finally and uh the end game is going to take a long time to get there. It's going to be three hours long, and a lot of characters are maybe going to die. Um, I'm mostly just excited to see Ant-Man save the day by crawling up Thanos' butthole and then expanding, uh, which supposedly is how it ends. Uh, sorry to spoil it all for, for all of you. Yeah, uh, it has leaked, and we have watched yeah. it, so there you go. We have we have our own copy. Uh, if you're listening to this, I apologize for ruining endgame for you but really i mean why don't we just talk quickly about expectations maybe go through a couple of people that we think might not make it out people that we think will uh and maybe any theories we want to throw out there just to get on the record where are you at temperature wise going into endgame the thing is it actually did leak legitimately yeah 
my question is, who would watch that? Like, why do you want to watch a shitty version of the movie on your laptop when you're about to see this on a huge screen and just be blown away visually, you know? Weird. Weird that people actually would do that. Like, yes, some people I know really, really care about what happens in this plot and all that, but baffling. I mean, I really don't understand it. I, I think for people, it's just the anticipation has gotten to a point where they just want to know. You know, same thing with Thrones. We just want to know what goes on. Uh, but I agree. If you if you truly care about the movie, you have a little bit of self-control. Just a little bit. Right. Yeah, I think in terms of expectations, what this movie needs to do to be successful, and we're talking successful critically as a uh, wrapping of a, as a story. Obviously, we know financially it'll be successful. Yes. I will say... <laughs> Right now, it will not make $300 million opening weekend. Relax, everyone. The movie's three hours long. That hurts the amount of times you can show it a day. Also, that's a really high mark to hit here in the States. I think we'll probably set the new record, which Infinity War had just set last year. Maybe 265, 270, something. But we're not hitting 300. That's ridiculous. Also, it's people are like, oh, it'll, it'll break the Force Awakens record here in the States, which is like $936 million here in the U.S., uh, the number two movie is Black Panther, which is 700, a.k.a. 200 plus million behind Force Awakens. I just think that's completely unrealistic for Infinity War to hit that mark. But in terms of what it needs to actually do to be like a movie that we actually are happy pan out the way it is, I think it's weird because we know the snap's going to be undone because we know Black Panther 2 and Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2 and Spider-Man are all happening. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that's spoiled for most people with adult brains, <laughs> like, I'm sure a lot of kids will have their minds blown, and I'm really happy for them. Like That'll be really <laughs> cool. But like, we all know that it's, it's getting undone. We've known it for a year. So how do you undo it in such a way that it's satisfying, right? Because I've been kind of, I'm not worried, but I've been concerned trolling in my head. I don't know. I've been thinking like, I mean, how do you do it so that Infinity War holds up, you know, through the... Uh, through hindsight like i think if anyone was really well made it's the best of the team-up movies they've done but part of that is the anticipation and the build-up and like what happened to gamora and all that if we just take literally everything away in endgame i don't know i, I don't think it's feels cheap but i just feel like you might really cut the legs off infinity war in the process i don't know what do you think i i mean just i agree you need to do it in a way that doesn't make it feel cheap i think loki and gamora i think those deaths that happen pre-snap are not going to be undone those sort of things are written in, in blood at this point um what, what i think they need to do in order to really like land the ship so to speak uh is and to not make infinity war feel totally like a waste of time is to use this opportunity to you know they're bringing captain marvel but to take the original avengers plus rocket and to really set them on an adventure and, and ant-man um to really have an adventure that i think drives home some message that they've been probably trying to get at throughout the course of this this third phase of teamwork partnership i mean you've had captain america versus uh iron man kind of at the different ends and Somewhere in here, they're going. One of them is going to have to, or both of them are going to have to compromise on different things in order to work together. And that's really the thing: is right. you just want to see these characters have a final journey together that feels satisfying. And I think they have enough that people are going to go crazy for, regardless of that it's going to be hard for them to miss. I think the only way they could truly miss is if they send Ant Man up Thanos' butthole and have him expand in order to defeat him, which I don't think is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. 
one other thing is that the quantum realm is cool, explored a fair amount in the two Ant-Man movies, yet still kind of nebulous. We don't really understand it. If that is all it takes, you know, you know what I mean? Like if it, if it's just Ant-Man and Captain Marvel combine their powers and we know how strong Captain Marvel is and they just kind of are able to brute force it somehow through through the, the powers of interdimensional travel. I don't know. I, I just want it to do it in a satisfying way, even if we can kind of guess the, the broad strokes of it. But I think you're right. You have to nail the final beat, narrative beats, because we right. all expect this to be the final film for Chris Evans, Captain America, and Tony Stark's Iron Man. Whether they both die, technically, is a different story, but I, mm-hmm. this is definitely done. We, I think we know Chris Evans is fucking done with this. Although he recently and, said, like... You know, I might might be open to it. Like he left the door open. Like, bro, just continue. yeah. You don't. I think he's do just it. doing that for press purposes, personally. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I mean, the the thing is, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is paid substantially more than anyone else. So I could see him. Like, you know what? Let Tony truly walk away and go be with Pepper. Mm-hmm. Done. He's done with everything. But if he ever wants to come back, because RDJ wants that check, it's yeah. open. I. But I think. I think Evans will be very is very content to just truly leave it behind, pass the mantle quote unquote off to Bucky and uh, Falcon, right? If, I guess. But and the other thing too is we know about all these Disney Plus shows that Marvel Studios is making, right? Loki, Hawkeye, WandaVision, Hawkeye, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Does that spoil stuff? Like we know the Black Widow movie is happening. That's the first one they're that's going into production this year. That's the next one we'll we'll see, assumingly. Black Widow, at least we know we could think of, could take place in the past when she was a Russian agent, Soviet agent, right? Right. But are we gonna have a Loki show? Way back when Loki was a true dick and Thor had long hair, still like, isn't that just really confusing to your audience? I don't know. I I just I'm trying to think like who is really gonna go? Like I feel again, Tony and and Rogers are gonna walk away or die. Who else though? Will they kill Thor as well? Because I feel like Thor needs his own moment, and I feel like we're not too much of a focus on Stark and Rogers that we can't also kill Thor, you know? Yeah, I I would be surprised if they killed Thor, especially just because Hemsworth has been such a revelation. Um, Also, Ragnarok. Yeah, well, well, one quick thing, shout out to, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but Taika Waititi's character from Ragnarok. Korg. Yeah, is going to be in this, which I'm very excited oh, really? for awesome. um sorry if i spoiled anything there for you but i just read that he's gonna be in it in some way so uh that that seems very fun to me maybe it's just like a flashback of some sort i don't know but i'm also i mean i i don't think that you can kill thor off only because i i think you do need to have some of the old guard there to pass on i mean from the posters it seems like hulk is going to reach professor hulk level which is pretty interesting. I don't know. Captain Marvel and Ant Man. I don't think are going anywhere. Uh, maybe Paul Rudd. Captain Marvel be. certainly isn't. Yeah. By the way, I mean, is <laughs> made too much money. Is there another Ant Man movie on? Maybe Paul Rudd sacrifices himself here. There isn't one that we know of. Like, uh, we're gonna do a Phase Four predictions discussion video after Endgame comes out, but. We don't know anything about another Ant-Man movie. The Ant-Man movies are some of the lower-grossing MCU entries. Um, I don't know. Like, they have to kill some side guys, right? <laughs> you think? But, but who? Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Vision are all spoken for now. 
Bucky, Bucky, we know uh, Stan still has a lot of movies on his contract. You feel like Stan's finally going to get his chance to be Bucky in a post-Steve Rogers world. Yeah. At least for a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, you know, we'll talk about this in our Phase 4 video, but I don't know if they're going to strictly have a, a just a brand new Avengers team the way we've been accustomed to. So they might need, like, some of the older guys, like Thor, like you said, but just some more disparate groups. I don't know. But, like, are they going to kill Gamora for sure, you think? We know Guardians 3 is happening. I don't have a problem with that. I think I thought that was really effective. But would they kill anyone else? I, 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 it's just weird. Like, I just feel like there's an, a strange amount of plot armor, which I wasn't expecting until I really started thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think one of the Avengers is definitely, or one of the uh, Guardians is not going to be coming back for sure. And I, I think at this point, Gamora has to be. I mean, I don't know. The Red Skull is in this movie. Um, so... He is. They said that again. Yeah, apparently, but it's not. It's not the same guy, or it might be. The, I'm trying to remember, but I do know that he's in this movie. So that means they're at least going to show that scene again, if not go back there. So then, does she does it bring her back to life? Is that when like, is that when like Stark or Captain America has sacrificed something? I don't know. It's. It's it's a lot to think about just because when you get down to like who actually dies in this man like maybe Nick Fury like maybe Samuel Jackson oh, that's, is just that's done. a good that's a good one that's like, a good one you know Black Panther Doctor Doctor Strange isn't going anywhere maybe maybe Nebula I guess yeah. I don't know when you think about the Guardians I mean uh, Rocket is the only one I think that maybe uh, other than Gamora could possibly go because Groot ain't going nowhere like. Telling that much, he's very popular. Um, Hawkeye is Ronin. I mean, I don't know. Not not with the show, probably. Unless that show takes place a few years ago, he trains Kate Bishop and then he dies. Mm. Well, we see. I don't know. Could be. But like, the thing about the Guardians too is, remember all all the actors were came out in support of James Gunn, and that includes like Karen Gillan, that includes Zoe Saldana. So. I think they were genuinely doing that anyway, but it did kind of have the vibe of we're all signed on for Guardians 3 and we want it to be with James Gunn. Mm -hmm. So, man, yeah, I'm Cap and Tony, one dies, one walks away is what I'm going with. Other than that, I'm not confident in predicting anything. Ant-Man, though, I think that's an underrated uh, choice. And Nick Fury, I think, actually makes a lot of sense. Maybe as Ant-Man is crawling up Thanos' butthole, Thanos realizes it and clenches really hard and just pops him. <laughs> Maybe that's like the first act. I don't know. That'd be some crazy CGI. Yeah. Any uh, any any surprises or anything that you want to call it? Maybe like surprise appearances or people that will show up that you don't expect right now? I hope we see Valkyrie again from Thor Ragnarok yeah. just because I love Tessa Thompson. Hell yeah. Um, They said Shuri died in the snap. Mm-hmm. But I really want to see Shuri again because the teacher writes awesome. Yeah, in the role. Um, uh, we're gonna get it. We're gonna get everything. I think. Yeah. It seems. I mean, the movie's so fucking long. Three hours. You better get like, everything. It's cool how the trailer lays so much into the whole leftovers vibe that they have yeah. in the beginning when they're halfway there. And there's been some really good jokes about that. Like, <laughs> hey, you want to go see Hall? Wait, Hall? Hall and? Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um. Uh, I mean, I can't wait to see it. I'm seeing it Sunday, so I'm going to probably be off Twitter uh, starting Thursday evening. Yeah. Um, But overall, just really, uh, really excited for this. We'll be talking a lot about that next week as well as Battle of Winterfell uh, and probably a couple of 
music album. So if you want to hit us up and tell us what to review, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod, youtube.com uh, slash nostalgiapod, and yep. nostalgia on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating and review. Uh, anything else that we're going to be reviewing next week? I think I've pretty much named them all. Yep, Schoolboy Q, ah, Crash Talk album, and whatever Taylor Swift has up her sleeve, we don't actually know. It's probably just a single. I don't think it's a full project or anything, but yeah, Endgame, Schoolboy Q, Battle of Winterfell, that's your homework. All right, we'll see you all next week. Hey.